0: BWI is live, our post-game show after Penn State's final game of the regular season, 30-27 to Michigan State in the snow. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. I'm with Tom Hannafin, the co-host of the Pay Dirt Podcast. We're going to break down what we just saw as, as best we can. And this is another one, Tom, where I am super... I won't say super useless, but uh, I am less effective... <laughs> when there isn't as much actual tactics to break down because two inches of snow, uh, mm-hmm. so I want to start with you, our expert fan and uh, media extraordinaire, who's been following the team all season long. I want you to start get some of the the blood letting out, some of the emotion out, because poor David, who's already thrown in a bunch of super chats, he's he's having a hard time in the chat. Thank We're gonna you, get David. to we're going we're gonna to get to David's comments, but like there's a lot of emotion that needs to go, and I'm not the emotion guy, so please start off the show. What were your thoughts about the game you just watched?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll stay micro with the game at first. So I think we all knew going into this game this was a winnable game for Penn State and also a very winnable game for Michigan State. Uh, just the way that these two teams matched up, you knew that Penn State was going to have problems with the Michigan State rushing attack. Kenneth Walker III is exactly who we thought he was. I said it uh, the last time we did this show, and I've said it on my own podcast, is that if he's wearing a a Georgia G or Alabama numbers on his helmet, he's first in line for the Heisman, and it's not even close. So you knew that was going to be a problem. And then this is a Michigan State defense that – Uh, plays very well. They're very disciplined. I don't think they necessarily have a ton of studs like a lot of defenses that Penn State has faced this year, but they do play tough football. You add the snow on top of that, it just literally changed everything. I've had the fortune of talking to a number of pro athletes, um, college-level athletes, Football players from the NFL ranks, XFL ranks, CFL ranks, uh, college football ranks. And I have experience at very poor level high school football in the state of Connecticut myself. And I can there's tell you there's a lot you, of
0: snow up there.
1: <laughs> there is plenty of snow, plenty of rain and hail and such. Playing in snow for these athletes is absolutely terrible. You have no footing. If you've ever been out on like black ice or something or in your backyard when it's just a little slippery out and you're like, I might tear an ACL right now. Imagine experiencing that while a 260 pounder tries to take your head off. Yeah. There are so many things about this that it does make it to T Frank's point, virtually impossible to break down the, uh, you know, some of the tactics and the the game planning. You can talk about uh, play calling, etc. There are a lot of issues. uh Stephen light in the super chat first of all thank you all for donating for the super chat it's the holiday season this yeah. is the last game of the year i know blue white illustrated appreciates it t frank appreciates it and as a part of black friday weekend like this is the season of giving so thank you very much
0: yes it is uh we are a small business in my mind so uh shop small appreciate oh, it's saturday i forgot yeah, yeah you're right yeah, so I I consider our little YouTube channel here my small business, so I appreciate Stephen. steven has been great all year long, and and I I'm not le- mm-hmm. I didn't want him to necessarily cut the line, but it was just perfect because it's just a great line. We are live. The offense remains dead. They scored 27, which once mm-hmm. again is almost bang on for their average this year of about 23 to 28 points. They they just physically cannot get above 30 on their mm-hmm. own, and of course the Penn State defense adding seven to that. Um, from, from, from my perspective, obviously as the analysis guy and as the, and I, I said this on another show earlier, like all the fan stuff for Penn State football as a, as a graduate who went to school and sat in the student section, that's been ripped out and put in with cold, hard ice that I just watched the game and tell you what's going on. I become a kid during snow games. I love snow games. So mm-hmm. and I got in trouble on Twitter cuz I tweeted right before the uh the 4th and 15 touchdown. How can you not love snow games? Like I understand Penn State is down in this game. It's a tough situation. But, you know, enjoy the fact that this game is fun. Like I I thought that I'll was a that. fun game to watch for me personally. Uh but yeah, that the the way it ended was really rough for uh Penn State especially with the two late fumbles. Uh, I think that's really the deciding factor in this game of there were enough missed kicks. There was enough problems in special teams in the areas where Jordan Stout's field goal is the deciding factor in this game. But the two late fumbles really changed the way that the the mathematics of the game worked at the end. Where Penn State just didn't have the ball enough times to actually do anything on offense. Because when they did have the ball, they moved it. Like for the most mm -hmm. part, they moved the ball. Uh, it's just they didn't have it enough today.
1: No, and Todd Blackledge uh, for ESPN, uh, obviously former Penn Stater, God bless him. Uh, he at halftime said, hey, there's been no turnovers to this point. Um, whoever wins the turnover battle in the second half is probably going to win the game. And, and gosh, was he right. The pick six by Daquan Hardy was pretty much the only uh, offensive thing. And it came from the defense. So yeah. uh, Daquan Hardy obviously that came up with that. And then it was utter silence for most of the second half. Uh, Credit to Michigan State with what they were able to do defensively. They made it very simple. They dared Penn State to run the ball. Yep. Sean Clifford was forced to drop back and throw in a lot of situations where he wasn't – I wouldn't say he was under duress nearly like the way he was against Michigan, but he was definitely under duress and still put up a pretty good stat line, 23 of 34, 313, and three touchdowns. So I don't know who wouldn't take that. Um but, yeah, that, that was just tough to watch. And, again, I know a lot of people are saying, okay, the offensive line didn't play well. There were missed tackles. Um, it, it's, it's a snow game. Yeah, th- these th- There's no footing. There is no leverage. I'm not trying to make excuses. I understand that the offensive line is not good. I think we all understand that. We understand that guys like Brandon Smith had a rough day. Tig Brown had a rough day. A lot of guys on both sides, by the way, both teams, had really rough days just trying to stay Upright. So you do have to look at it this way.
0: Yeah. And and in, so I was I was looking at some of the stats to uh start the first quarter and to start the third quarter, Penn State had the ball for exactly 10 minutes. In those 30 minutes, Penn State had the ball for 10 minutes. So in the fourth quarter and in the second quarter. They're playing from behind because they didn't have the ball they didn't have an opportunity so in a, in a game that was close Penn State was always chasing a little bit in these situations the missed field goal by uh by by Jordan Stout inside the 10 yard line was a huge difference in the game Obviously Penn State left four points on the field Michigan left some themselves with with the kicking issues they had um and for all of the people in the chat, that are talking about and all the people on Twitter and all of the people that don't like James Franklin. And here's 10 more years of this. One thing that has been pretty clear as far as a, a, a loyalty to a fault has been a shortcoming for James Franklin of Jordan Stout is our guy. He's more consistent in practice. He is the, he is our kicker. He's been, cause they track all of these things. They, they track during practice. They track during the game. And they made the decision that Jordan Stout has been more accurate in the volume than Jordan Stout has, or than, than Jake Pinnegar has. But clearly, it's not been good. There have been a lot of critical miss kicks by Jordan Stout. And finally, you you see how far it has to go before James Franklin will make a change when it comes to the quarterback, to a kicker, to Joey Porter Jr., who I know is, is being toasted quite a bit, not just on the field, but also on the internet as far as he's not pulling those guys until the 12th game of the season, in the fourth quarter of a snow game, after two missed kicks. So that is that is that is an area where, where I do agree with a lot of people that James Franklin, when it comes to those things, he's loyal to a fault, and that is the fault of if a guy isn't playing well, even if you have the belief and the data and all those things, that's where I think it kind of goes too far, in my opinion, as far as the the biggest problem with James Franklin. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, To the super chat point that was just up there in terms of Sean Clifford is not allowed back next year. Um, I want to bring up a point and I am driving people to my own podcast and I'll shill. Um, On episode 21 of my podcast, my co-host is uh, Matt McGloin. We all know number 11. Matt made an excellent point when it comes to Sean Clifford and he said, Sean Clifford has earned the right to decide if he's coming back to Penn State. He has another year of eligibility due to COVID-19, and I completely agree with Matt. I love the way that he put it, and I encourage you guys to take a listen to it and kind of open your minds to it, is that considering what Sean Clifford has done for the program, whether you like it or not, his commitment to the program, this dude was not Anthony Morelli. This was a good quarterback who put together good numbers, and you can agree with that, even if they weren't mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. this dude has earned the right to go to the coaching staff and say, if I'm coming back next season, I'm coming back as the starter. And that is the opinion of Matt McGloin on what Sean Clifford should do with his future. Now, the ball is then in James Franklin and company's court of whether or not they entertain that. So um, I am in agreement with a lot of Penn State fans that, yes, you do need to look to the future at the quarterback position. Um, but I think we all need to show a little bit more respect for Sean Clifford and, frankly, anybody that bothers to go out there and play the game um, I I felt bad for Sean Clifford there, finishing potentially his last snaps as the Penn State quarterback. Who knows what happens with the bowl game here? Because um, the guy the guy tried as best as he could this year. He was yeah. banged up. He was sick. He had every injury known to man. And, a and terrible I, offensive line. You know? yeah,
0: yes, and and that part I think is is everything was on his shoulders. So this is where I've been weighing everything in my head as far as the math. I keep saying this today. My word of the day is mathematics. The the things that will change over the course of the offseason. If Penn State comes back next year with Keandre Lambert-Smith, Malik Mega, and Parker Washington, all all the tight ends presumably are coming back. What is that? offense going to look like is it going to give him more support and does that change what he can do in a game when it's not all on his shoulders because to me it's pretty clear even in this game when it comes to those throws down the field those gut check throws when when Michigan State was playing soft coverage in the first half he was able to get the ball to Jahan Dotson when they played deep cover two and they just kept everything in front of them invited Penn State to run the ball Sean Clifford in those sort of critical I need to make a throw things Peyton Thorne made throws and Sean Clifford struggled to, to, to put together anything that didn't resemble a 15-play drive, if that makes sense. So does that change next year, and is that worth it for him to come back? That's what I've been trying to decide is, is it worth it for Penn State? Is it worth it for Sean Clifford? And, and that, to me, I don't think it's worth for either of them to continue this next year.
1: Yeah, I just think the guy deserves a little bit more respect. Uh, you play three seasons for a team at you know a, a good level, uh, you should get a little bit more respect. Um, yeah. I saw the, the super chat comment there about Joey Porter Jr. Uh, yeah. Brandon Smith, terrible in space. He hasn't ready for the NFL. Lee is trash. Um, yeah, so everybody's very angry. Uh, I completely understand yeah. that. And yeah, like, T. Frank, I don't think you and I are apologizing for guys like Brandon Smith and Joey Porter Jr. who have no. rough games. Kevon Lee, honestly, when I watched him play today, he reminded me in terms of athletic ability, not production, athletic ability to a Tony Hunt in that I think we yeah. can all agree Tony Hunt was not Saquon Barkley but yeah. that was the beauty of those old offensive lines is that they were so good they could make good good athletes decent yeah. athletes yeah. look otherworldly and Oh, by the way, be the leading rusher in school history at one point. So it's just a different time.
0: Evan Royster, right? Sort of the same thing. Evan Royster, not as big, but kind of the same thing. Uh, Appreciate all the super chats that are coming in. We're trying to get to as many as possible. I do want to make a a comment about Joey Porter Jr. Because that, to me, is a very frustrating thing from an evaluation standpoint. Because three quarters of his coverage is great he's initial off the line he mirrors well he's in phase with the receiver the entire time and then I I, the only thing I can say is he panics he gets panicky at the catch point so he grabs and and whether or not it's he's in position and he grabs whether or not he is a step behind and he's trying to slingshot himself around to get to the football he grabs and and it depends on what what uh what Um, ref crew you have that night whether or not they're going to call it or not some let more of that slide than others the passing the first pass interference call I do want to address that because that is another situation of I don't think it was as bad as it looked because he was in perfect position he sees the receiver's eyes go up to the football he knows the ball's coming his way but he's thinking oh this is a back shoulder I'm in perfect position they're not gonna throw this ball. So he's looking for the back shoulder, which he's gotten burnt on a couple of times, and the ball goes over his head. And because of that situation, he looks back, then he grabs. That's what happened. But I you know, I give some credit more to that one than the second one, which is just a crossing round. All you have to do is run with the guy and, you know, make a play at the catch point, and he got got nervous, he got antsy, and he uh and he grabbed. I, I think from what I've seen from him, there is still growth over time since last year so i do think that if he comes back he will be a very good player next year and to charles question was there a dropout a drop off without walker it was mostly uh bryce efner today and i think it was a little bit of a drop off but not as much as you'd like considering who rashid walker is supposed to be david i wanted to put this one to start the show <laughs> Jahan dotson deserves better yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm one
1: of the first people like I saw that um, he was announced for the Senior Bowl, and my mm-hmm. first thought I was like, "You don't need to, man." Yeah, You're... why?
0: That's uh, that's an Dotson, interview thing, right?
1: Yeah, and like I, I understand why guys do it. And Jahan Dotson, first of all, is a dude who plays with a ton of pride, and he very much cares about the program. Like he is the prototypical teammate from all reports. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the sake of his prospects. At the next level, he doesn't need to play in a Penn State bowl game. He doesn't need to play in the senior bowl. Uh, he just needs to go run a nice 40 when he has his pro day or if yep. the combine, whichever one he chooses. And the dude's fine. He's yep. going to have a great professional career.
0: I yep. hope he, he needs to run sub four, four, five. And then mm-hmm. everything he's done is is just I mean, everything herself. else is there. Everything else is there except for the size, and mm-hmm. then you question if they don't have the size, do you have the speed? Because the 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 finesse, the uh, route running, the ability to play the ball in space, his his body control. The only guy I've seen personally at Penn State at the receiver position. Uh, I guess two guys, Alan Robinson and Chris Godwin that have that sort of ability to play the ball in the air. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and it is a special ability for him. So Mm -hmm. I agree. I I think he's, he's good to go there. I I still think he's going to (laughs) play. I think he'll play in all of those situations. So uh, that's just the kind of the the guy he is. Exactly. I, I know we've covered this a couple of times, but I'm still having a hard time being generally upset at any one Position or group of players considering the snow. I think mm-hmm. some of the individual plays you can point out as far as Brandon Smith not taking a better, more controlled path to the football early in the game. Some guys, when the, when the footing was still relatively solid, were not playing their gaps. They're being a little over aggressive. But as the game gone on, was when was the offensive line that bad? Because I I, I again I have a hard time of. In certain situations, my analysis of this game was make the other person react. The person Mm -hmm. that makes the other guy cut wins. And uh, for the most part, that I think is where you can put the failing on the offensive line is if they didn't get a good push off the ball, if they didn't get a good reaction off the ball, Michigan State, they do have a couple of good run stuffers, and that's a lot of what happened in the second half is they were goading Penn State into running the football, and Penn State took advantage of that sometimes, but when it's Mm -hmm. second and eight and then you throw an incompletion to Parker Washington, suddenly it's third and eight, and then you have to punt, and you don't get the ball back for another eight minutes.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, granted, these are problems with the offensive line that have been happening all year. Um, They get exacerbated in the snow, and I'll explain why. If you're an offensive tackle and you're playing in the snow, you're inherently at a gigantic disadvantage because you're playing moving in reverse you're playing on the back foot you are being defensive as opposed to offensive. Now, simultaneously, edge rushers don't really have that much because the very concept of getting an edge in the snow is extraordinarily difficult. So you see more bull rushes. You don't see a lot of spin rushes, etc. So uh, guys are not necessarily running completely around offensive tackles. Sometimes you'll try and do that, but you might not be getting to the quarterback in time. So then it comes down to the interior of your offensive line, where you just hope that you hold your ground. If you watch for most of the game, Michigan State was not blowing Penn State off the ball. I'm talking about Michigan State's offensive line now, too, yeah. Penn State's defensive line. This was not like the, uh, the Illinois game or even the Michigan game where Penn State's defensive line was backed up several yards. Everybody just got kind of stood up straight because everybody mm-hmm. is on ice skates. That's both sides of the line. But if you can stand a guy upright and make him uncomfortable so that the defensive lineman cannot use his arms for leverage, you can just kind of move him, and you can just shuffle his body one direction or the other. Michigan State did a very good job of that. They just kind of twisted players in their position, and that's why there were gigantic holes for Kenneth Walker and company. So that's, again, now flip it back, the Penn State offensive line, where do they struggle? run blocking because they are not strong enough and they don't get good leverage. So when you put everything on the weakest part of your line, the interior, this is the result you get. And it's the result. Unfortunately, Penn state's been getting all season regardless of
0: weather. Yeah. And and another part of this particular game that so many parts of Penn state's ability to score points and play defense is all built on athleticism. And, and the one guy that was still keeping his footing, I mean, uh, Parker Washington had a great game today, and Jahan Dotson had a great game today. But in that second half, it was really mitigated by the the amount of possessions, the amount of time that they had. And then on defense, your ability to run around blocks and get to the football, Brandon Smith, that's, a, that's something he's very good at. Ellis Brooks, that's something he's very good at. If It just takes longer to run around those blocks. So even those, those subtle movements on the other side as well that normally work out where Penn State's able to knife under change direction, cut back inside, and normally that would shut down a running game. Suddenly, now Kenneth Walker has the ability to break one arm tackle or a hand on his foot and get another 15, 20 yards, finish 30 attempts for 138 yards and a touchdown. So, it I mean, the snow, it's obvious the way Penn State's built to win and built to play. It's not built mm-hmm. to play in the snow, but it, it <laughs> you don't normally play in that much snow. This is the yeah. one game in the last couple of years that Penn State has played in that much snow. So even when it comes down to the analysis of Big Ten football, got to be able to run the ball in the weather. Yes, there is an element of that. You want to be good at those things. But for the majority of the season and the postseason, you still want to be good at the things that Penn State is good at. Uh, but it did it did play a factor today where where they had the ball for 23 minutes and they scored 21 points. So it wasn't necessarily a good, uh, a good day for for Penn state when it comes to the archetype program, which is what I was talking about. The the right way to do this is to, uh, is to build the way that they are building. And then you get a game like today and it's like, see, I told you that's not, you shouldn't do that. But the majority of the time it does work. Um, mm-hmm. J- John Johnstone says, James Franklin takes over play calling late in games. Ask him that is not true. That is, that is, that is a, that is a not true statement. John, what he does is he tells the offense and defense when we're going to go for it, and then he nudges and reminds guys, hey, we need to run the ball, or hey, we need to make sure we're taking deep shots. So his influence is saying on the headset, here's what I'm thinking. He is not calling plays. And I, and if you're saying that that's semantics, I don't care, then, then okay. But he is absolutely at no point calling the plays. Is... Is John right to think that those subtle manipulations are calling plays? No. Okay. <laughs> can <laughs> you extrapolate not, so I can find the next yeah, question? T- yeah,
1: James Franklin <laughs> has not regularly been the play caller on offense or defense. I don't think he ever was for the defense because so, he was more of an offensive guy. Um, he's not been that since, what, 2016, 17? I think that he's as far as what? very... Uh, being the regular offensive play caller, he was doing that initially when he came to Penn State, but that's been years since he did that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I've said it on my own podcast uh, this past week in episode twenty-two that I'm not a fan of this new contract extension for him. And that I think the positive is that it's a stimulus package for the football program and that it gives more money to assistant coaches so that they will stay so Penn State does not have a Joe Moorhead situation where it's a guy you'd like to keep but you can't afford to keep. Those are the big positives. But this is a very Franklin-friendly contract, which is unfortunate for a lot of Penn State fans, and I do share that, uh, that same frustration.
0: So this is this is another thing that I, I think is really interesting is that it's not a <laughs> huge it's not a, so seventy five million dollars versus what he was being paid before when you broke it down and I, I had some uh, of my colleagues that were doing some of the math on it it's not like a gigundus increase in pay obviously the large numbers at the end ten to seventy five that everyone focuses on like here from Wes is. What you expect moving forward now that you have all of these, all this money. It's not a gigantic increase in his salary. That being said, it is an increase in his salary during a seven and five season, which is what brings up all of the questions about that. It is, as you pointed out, a stimulus package for the program, and better results are going to be expected going forward. I don't think there's any there's no, there's no problem with that. Um, but it's also fair to point out that if you're focusing on the large numbers and you're not taking into the full context, uh, that that's, you're you're missing part of what's going on here is that it was not this big, massive renegotiation for James Franklin. It was a, it was a pay increase. I think he's still not in the top five in terms of pay per year from a from a college football coach he had Mm -hmm. a a flat salary for the entire time and uh the the most of the money and the promises and everything the focus has been on the facilities and the resources around the program so Mm -hmm. i understand that people don't like franklin and this is going to be a part of that but it is more than that even if you don't like franklin it's more than that
1: yeah the contract extension i found was really misadvertised in that it's shiny to say 10 years, $80 million, $75 million. And even that number has gone back and forth. And the guy was under contract until 2025. So um, James Franklin, to his credit and the credit of his agent, he played this extraordinarily well. He's like, these are all the changes I want to roll out, but he's not going to lay out changes. And then they're going to be like, goodbye. He's like, I- I'm going to put these into place. And you're going to make sure that I have the tools to do that. And I have the security to do that. So. James Franklin got what he wanted. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which it's so it's it is interesting that in the middle of this season and Penn State fans focus obviously on the now, there is not the reference point of what happened previously. Mm. And the, you know, some of that success is explained away as Saquon Barkley. Uh, and I think that's a that is that is part of the analysis that's that, that yep. is fair. Um at the same time you don't you're not a you're not a bumbling idiot and get to the Rose Bowl like I, for the most part so showtime here puts a it makes a good point as an older fan we just don't get coach Franklin aside uh admin side he's great recruiting great coaching up talent not so much not a field general so that's the part but so th- this is the disconnect is and I've said, people don't like when i say this but if he's just an average game day coach and your emotions aside he's just an average game day coach or slightly below average game day coach and he's very good at everything else and he's trying to push penn state the administration into the future to be competitive with these football powerhouses does that not make him on the aggregate an above average coach as a guy who as as you as you said off air to me like you've heard people explain how he's he's a great Uh, behind the scenes sort of guy. He does a lot of things really well and he's very smart, but the on the field stuff is the only thing that Penn state fans see. Is there anything to that as far as why fans don't like him, but Penn state loves him and gave him this contract where it didn't seem like he had any of the leverage, but, and here we are.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a generational change in what a coach is in major college football. So, Uh, to the point that Showtime was saying, he's an older fan. Don't know what generation he grew up in, but probably like yourself, you experienced a lot of, like me, you experienced a lot of Joe Paterno. Joe Paterno was an old school style of coach where yes, recruiting was extraordinarily important, but Joe Paterno had a fabulous charm about being able to meet somebody's entire family. Uh, It's something that Michael Zordich Jr. told me about on his podcast is that Joe Paterno befriended Every member of his family, and hardly spoke to Zordich Jr. and was like, "Yeah, I've won your whole family, and like I'm going to convince you that to come here, etc." Like he was that type of man, and he recruit, recruited locally. He did all those things, but he had developed himself into a national power at a time where recruiting, I think we can all agree, has not become what it is now. Yeah, this is completely different. If you are a head coach at the FBS level you have to appreciate there is a there is one Nick Saban. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that Nick Saban, he can do the recruitment. He can go and meet your entire family and be invited to dinner and all that stuff and make you really love the program. He can also turn around and be Bill Belichick and be a wizard with X's and O's. He is singular in this universe. The majority of college coaches at this point do a very good job of insulating themselves because they are there to manage the program. Mm-hmm. Very few of them are doing, for instance, like what Ryan Day does in terms of calling plays. Look at Dabo Sweeney uh, down in Clemson. He has the benefit of having Brent Venables as his defensive coordinator for years, the yep. highest-paid coordinator in FBS by a long shot. That that covers you for a lot of problems, and it's something that's been exposed now that talent like Trevor Lawrence and a slew of others have left yeah. is that there's been And that their offense isn't their very offense. good.
0: Like their offensive scheme that. is yeah, not good.
1: scheme has been questionable for years because they've not necessarily had the great offensive coordinator. So what my point is that James Franklin is the modern head coach at the FBS level and that he is not expected to go out there and call every last single play and coach every last single player. He is very much a macro perspective on the Penn State football program and then he hires other people that come in and do the micro and do the little things so that's again why this contract extension whatever it is you want to call it is a good for the program because there is money for better recruiting more money you you want to understand how these guys go get recruited i talked about it on the last host game show how did tuatanga violoa go from hawaii to tuscaloosa alabama yep guess what happened alabama used their g5 airplane to fly <laughs> all the way there convince them to come and brought him back yep that's what happens with these major programs and if your universities are not willing to give you the money look at the wisconsin's of the world who do not want to invest in their program but still expect a decent return they're not expecting national titles and that's very obvious if you're not willing to put in that money you're not going to get the return so again we harp on the business side of this i know a lot of people are like oh my gosh this is us apologizing for james franklin we're not I i am very much a person that's saying you have all the resources to get this done now. There are no more excuses. We'll
0: see. Go and do it. We'll see if he does, because I, I don't know that e- even in the statement coming out on Tuesday that they made, it was the roadmap of this and it was the the plan. Like, they're not going to share the actual tangible plans that they have in place, but it yeah, sounds like a more It sounds like more promises that, oh, yeah, sure, we're going to do that. But with the situation that's happening with Sandy Barber reportedly is, you know, going to retire soon. And you have the university president, Eric Barron, who is retiring soon. And there's some board of trustees movement that can also go the other way that can also not work out in James Franklin and football's favor from that side. So I still think that despite what this was and what it was supposed to be for Penn State, There's still an uphill battle for James Franklin to get what he wants. To Showtime's point, I do want to talk a little bit about the game that happened today. And I know that it is actually... I mean, even to us, there's not a lot to analyze of a snow game. But Showtime does want to talk about the run game here. Coach Yersin has to realize when when they can't stop the run, keep running it. um, Counter Trey, he was talking about stop dancing in bad Mm -hmm. weather.
1: The problem we were talking about this right before we came on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the, the problem is they were they were inviting the run, and Penn State is inconsistent at running the football. The running back specifically, in those situations, I thought other than the fumble, Kevon Lee was pretty good. Because the times that he was dancing were the times that he was either waiting for his blocks to develop or the offensive line, especially Eric Wilson specifically, had a rough day where he was getting pushed at the point of attack two yards into the backfield on some of these plays where that shouldn't happen. As as Tom described what it's like to play in the snow, it should just be neutral the whole time unless you're getting straight-up beat. Um, and in those situations where he had to cut... That's not Kivon Lee's strength to begin with, and then it's snowy, and and whoever makes whoever forces the action wins the rep. And Penn State just couldn't force the action enough in this game. Uh, coming back to the offensive line, and and what snow and all these element games do is they they reduce everything down to I think I don't say luck because you know the players have to play the game. But there is less tactic and more sort of who's going to fall down on a play. At a certain point, whoever's standing up at the end of the play has won the play. Uh, do you think Penn State still could have won, won the game? Is it, is it the fumbles or were there things that you were seeing that you didn't like, like Showtime, that wanted more running of the football?
1: I agreed with uh, wanting to see more running of the football. I think the turnovers ultimately were what killed Penn State, and uh, I I agree with you in terms of running the football, but it was something you and I were talking about before we came on the air, is at the beginning of the third quarter, you could start to see Keevon Lee have some success. Big dude, you don't want to tackle that guy in cold weather. Um, My first thought was, man, if Penn State lines up in a power set with a quarterback under center, I formation, ace back, whatever you want to call it, and ran the football, you can have a lot of success against this Michigan State team, but that is an inherently flawed idea from the beginning because Penn State, A, does not do that as an offensive structure right now under Mike Juricich. That's just not part of the offense, unfortunately, and I know a lot of people be like, well, why isn't it? It's just not the way that he's run his offenses. Look at Oklahoma State, Texas, Ohio State, and now his time at Penn State. It's the same shotgun spread type of offense. So it just yeah. doesn't feature that very much. Yeah. So, and
0: if you look at Ohio state today, it was the same thing. Ohio state is right. built to play the same way and look at the way they stopped the run today. They had a worse time of it than Penn state did because they're small and quick on the defensive line. They're, they're built to penetrate and attack spread offenses. So that's why Penn state, Ohio state match up so well. And in yeah. days like today and, and to give credit to Michigan who got after CJ Stroud and made him look okay. Okay made him not be a good quarterback on the day, Mm -hmm. sacked him, confused him. They threw a lot at him. Uh, But both of those teams that are built to play this way on a day where it was snowy and it was cold favor the teams that like to run the football. I still maintain Michigan is not going to get away with that going forward. As the teams get better, their flaws of not being able to throw the ball consistently against higher level defenses is going to show up again. And Michigan State, the same thing. Penn State couldn't take advantage of their terrible secondary. Which, by the way, to, show, to, to illustrate the point of like what it could have been if the snow had just been the same throughout the game, uh, I want to get his name right. Six foot two, 220 pound, Darius Snow. He's a safety. He was the guy covering in single coverage on Jahan Dotson on his touchdown. That was Michigan State's plan, was to put the equivalent of um, either Jair Brown or Curtis Jacobs in mm-hmm. single coverage on Jahan Dotson. One of the two best receivers in the Big Ten, one of the best receivers in the nation. Forget what the Bolitnikoff has to say. That was their plan. And as soon as Penn State couldn't take advantage of those things, the game became an equalizer. And the same thing with Penn State in the snow early in the game. In the second quarter, they shut down the Michigan State running attack when they could still get around blocks and they could, they could still play the way they normally play. But as soon as they went in for halftime and the snow kept accumulating, it began to favor the team that can run the ball. Um, and I want to just quickly get to this, and I want to get your thoughts on something coming up next. Showtime says, at the end of the show, remind us where Penn State can go to a bowl with a 7-5 and five record. We talked about this on the BWI Daily Edition. It was our uh, Friday bowl selection special. Now, the Music City Bowl is still in play, but I think the main one is going to be the Las Vegas Bowl, which I'm super un- unhappy about that. Because it's at ten thirty at night uh, on the thirtieth, so that's likely where Penn State is going to go based on what we talked about on Wednesday. But at this point, I, you know, maybe the Pinstripe ball, Bowl is in play. I, I don't know. I, I think I don't know how the, much the, this particular game affects the bowl selection in 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 the postseason. Mm-hmm. But it was not a great end to the season for Penn State football. Maybe seven and five does get you to the Pinstripe Bowl, but I think comfortably the Vegas Bowl is the one that might be the, the best fit for Penn State. I mean, I'd go to Vegas in December. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's great. I At so this I'm
1: point, g- people start thinking about how you want to spend your vacation over the holidays. That's what we're talking about at this point. Do you want to go to New York in December or do you want to go to Vegas? I'd go to Vegas.
0: Uh, Steven, you make a good point. Michigan State was playing in the same conditions and Michigan State's quarterback threw a pick six. So mm-hmm. uh, it just... On the whole, as we talk about, it was much more in in favor of them. I want to get through a bunch of these so we can get to some other things. Um, I think that people are just paying because they're angry, which, you know, works for us. But uh, do this our backs take hour. jitterbug no, lessons uh, f- during the season? Yes, Night Raven is, uh, is one of our favorite international fans. By the way, thank you everyone who's listening and who's donating to the channel. Uh, if you want to give the uh, video a like, and that spreads it on YouTube so we can have more people come on and ask questions. We'll have more topics to talk about. What are you thinking about coming out of this game for Penn State football? Are you thinking anything, or are you? I know you don't like this particular season, but where does your mind go for what's next for this team? Um,
1: last year, uh, Penn State declined going to a bowl game, I think just kind of out of mercy. It was a brutal season for every football team because of we were in the depths of this pandemic, obviously, so you could understand that. And obviously, the way the season ended was so positive, but still the way the season began, it was just a brutal season. So you understood it. I think Penn State fans want to see Penn State in a bowl game this year. Um, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't accept a bowl game, um, even if it isn't necessarily the most glamorous of games. As you just mentioned, the Las Vegas Bowl being played at 1030 at night, it does feel beneath the the brand of Penn State. However, there are plenty of seniors and and fans, frankly, who want to see Penn State in a bowl game. Um, Ultimately, I've said it on my own show. This has just been a very disappointing season because we saw the peaks in the valleys and mm-hmm. the peak being right before the Iowa game and the first 20 minutes of the Iowa game. Gosh, what it could have been. Is right. This was a team everyone nationally felt comfortable that Penn State was in the conversation for the college football playoff, for the top four that they belonged there. And then very quickly after that game, everything just unraveled and you can point a lot of fingers at a lot of different people i understand everyone's frustrated with james franklin there are no more excuses that i want to hear that fans want to hear as to why there is no success uh coming from this team it, uh, james franklin is now 11 and 10 between 2020 and 2021 that is not acceptable and my deepest sincerest hope is that for the administration regardless of the amount of money that they would have to pay james franklin for him to potentially be removed from his position at penn state that they put uh, a priority on winning immediately because clearly the last two seasons they understand the restrictions that this program has faced because of the pandemic and that cannot be understated yeah um but but at this point it's got to be like let's go
0: Uh, So, Wes, let me just give you one specific example of something I remember off the top of my head. Because there are a million things that happen behind the scenes that even we who cover the team aren't always privy to. But one thing that came out specifically, uh, Julian Fleming, a five-star receiver that grew up, I, I believe he was either a Penn State fan. He grew up in Pennsylvania on the east side of the state. Julian Fleming chose Ohio State because... Uh, Penn State couldn't keep their wide receivers coach. Josh Gaddis left for Alabama, the famous, the infamous lateral move conversation James Franklin had. That was a part of this facilities and investment talk. Uh, and in the offseason, they got into a situation where they had to move a guy out of a position coaching running back so they could hire Jay Sider, who has been a very good recruiter at that position. Then. That guy was fired. Uh, We're talking uh, about 2019. They brought in Jared Parker to be the receivers coach. Jared Parker left to be the offensive coordinator at West Virginia. And then you get Taylor Stubblefield. Meanwhile, Brian Hartline has been there coaching up and sending guys to the NFL for a good five, six years now, and Fleming chose that place because of the facilities and the coaching and the, the opportunity to go to the NFL and the clear path forward that Ohio State had because they invest in these things. Now, that's one area, and you should you could say, doesn't matter, get the guy winning football, you win on the field, it doesn't matter, and there is some truth to that, but those are the things. Those are the small incremental things that worked in Penn State's uh, against Penn State in that situation. Uh, after, by the way, they had a lot of success, and teams came poaching their player, their their coaches, and their staff. Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator for a Big Ten championship game-bound team, was the receivers coach here. So James Franklin has a, does know how to find talented coaches. He just had a hard time for a couple of years keeping hold of them. And the investment in the program is supposed to be a part of that. And the facilities are part of that. And everything is a part of that. To quote James Franklin, it's everything. But that is one example, if you wanted one, of how Penn State lost a commitment from a guy who should have been a shoe in, but wasn't. Uh, and I know nobody likes to hear those things. Nobody wants to hear those things because Penn State lost 30-27 to 27 to Michigan State that had half their team out with the flu. And the other half that was trying to play with the flu. So, you know, it's not a fun time for Penn State fans today. Not great. Yeah. Uh, getting through some of these super chats. I My notes are all over the place. We've been mostly answering your questions and letting some of the emotion out today. Uh, what mm-hmm. is the bowl prediction and where would it be? Uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but we'll just say that most likely it's going to be a December 30th game or earlier. Uh, I'm looking at the Pinstripe or the Las Vegas Bowl as the ones that that I'm thinking of. Are you going to a bowl game this year? Are you going to go to the Pinstripe Bowl?
1: Uh, so I've been to, unfortunately, I've only been to one Penn State Bowl game. Um, it was the... Gosh, what was the name of the bowl game against Kentucky in 2019? Citrus Bowl? 18? Was it Citrus, the Citrus Bowl? Was it the Citrus Bowl? I always yeah. forget. The, it was at Camping World Stadium in Orlando. I was living there at the time. And uh, God, it broke my heart. Uh, losing that Kentucky team stunk. Walking out of the stadium, people chanting from Kentucky that w- we're the real big blue. I'm like, oh, I am just furious about this. So, <laughs> is that a, um, is that a
0: is that a thing that I missed about Penn State being Kentucky big blue? F-
1: Kentucky fans are well they're saying that like we're the real blue and white or something was what the okay. Kentucky fans were saying as we're leaving. Okay, and it was just like you have no leg to stand on because he just lost the game. And then Kentucky fans are just they're just kind of nasty, man. Like that was what I took away from it. So <laughs> I was scarred a little bit leaving that Uh um i had a chance to go to the game um again i'm forgetting the name of what the bowl was i think it was all it was the cotton bowl against memphis a number of years ago had a chance couldn't go um yeah honestly i i'd make a flight to vegas uh before i decided to hunker down somewhere in new york on december 30th
0: Uh, (laughs) i was hoping that's just me I was hoping for the Music City Bowl because it had the most interesting matchups and the most interesting location that I think Penn State fans would break. travel to. Yeah, that's right, Matt. Everyone loves Vegas Breakout. of the East. They love Nashville. It's a it's a good party city. Uh, it is uh, possibly the Will Levis revenge game, but I think at this point that's not going to happen. So, hmm. you know, it, it would have been good. And, Stephen, you make a great point. If you're paid like a top 25 coach and James Franklin has been getting... Uh, support over time from the Penn State administration to get to a certain point and they have fallen off since 2019 Mm -hmm. Um, there have been a lot of just misses and close losses that Penn State fans hated 2018 Ohio State game uh, 2017 Ohio State game 2019 Ohio State game all of those seem to be piling up And then you Mm -hmm. fall into the ravine of COVID and they have not really come out of that this year with a team that at the beginning of the season, a lot of experts were predicting eight and four. They finished seven and five. Is all of this fixed by just going 10 and two next year? Or is it going to still be the same thing of you lost to Ohio State? It doesn't matter.
1: Is Jim Harbaugh's reputation fixed because he beat Ohio State today?
0: I don't I don't think so. I don't think so.
1: In the handful of hours since, I don't think you can get a bad word about Jim Harbaugh out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Because if the guy wins the Big Ten title and he gets to the college football playoff, it seems like the guy would be maybe absolved. Who knows? Um, I personally was in favor of when this rumor about James Franklin's contract coming up in some capacity came up, I was very much in favor of what Michigan did with Jim Harbaugh's contract and that they reduced his money and they just basically it was approve it type of deal. Same thing with what Nebraska has done with Scott Frost. Mm -hmm. Vastly different situation, vastly different resources. But I was in favor of something like that for James Franklin to kind of get things moving and the administration to be like, hey, we need to do this. But clearly he was able to convince them that there are changes that need to be made in order for Penn State to really be in these conversations.
0: So the offensive line is another position where I'm going to point out some of these problems. And I know that I'm going to be a James Franklin apologist, but Matt Limegrover was chosen to take over for Herb Hand. Matt Limegrover was a a decent coach. He was a guy that I I think was an upgrade over the situation they had. But after three or four years, his services were no longer required because they went out and got a guy in uh, Phil Troutwine. That was when he was hired I'm just going to say this, when he was hired, was the correct choice. He was 35 under 35. He was one of the hottest young offensive line coaches in America. Uh, former offensive lineman, all those things. You already know his resume. We've talked about it ad nauseum. Uh, but the reason they're in the situation where they don't have any offensive linemen is because the recruiting on that side was not going well. They were missing on four- and five-star guys. They had a complete lack of tackles on the roster outside of Rasheed Walker. I, I still maintain Caden Wallace is a guard, and he's playing tackle. So these are the problems that the, the university is trying to address with more money and more funding and all of these things. Franklin is not going to no, renegotiate his 10-year uh, deal in two years, Wes. He's going to renegotiate it in five Because that's how these things work, because you have to have enough years left on your deal that when you're sitting down in somebody's living room saying, I'm going to be the coach of Penn State when you graduate, I need to have enough years left on my contract to make that actually a reality. Also, to your point about being a top five paid coach, factually, he makes $7 million a year. He is ninth. Ryan Day is 10th behind him at $6.61 million. So James -hmm. Franklin is is in the top 10. And if you're expecting top ten results, that is, he's being paid as how he was in 2019.
1: And Penn so, State fans, to, just to put a pin in it, should expect top ten, top five, top four results.
0: So is this a mirage? Let me ask you then. Not a mirage. Uh, is this um, a derailment? Of what happened from again 2019. The other funny thing is that like 2019 is just a weird situation where they had a first year starting quarterback, but they had Journey Brown and Noah Kane who were really good, uh, and everything worked that year. But are the are these foundational cracks in your opinion that are starting to show when you don't have a complete team, or is this a sidetrack on what was already an upward trajectory where they were bouncing off that ceiling they couldn't get through? And to James Franklin's point, we need more that isn't just players and coaches. Or is this more of what you think James Franklin's program looks like?
1: Um, I think it's closer to the latter than the former. Um, and, and just let me back up the pandemic here. Okay. So much was derailed by that for a number of programs, a number of sports nationwide, all over the planet. Let's understand that. Okay. So you understand If the administration looks at 2020 as, okay, that's a mulligan, so to speak. Um, I think you can very reasonably say 2021 should not have been looked at that in any capacity. Um, What I found extraordinarily telling is if you go to the Penn State football website and you read the official press release about the contract extension, the article is very, very precise in quoting statistics that follow 2016. And what I mean by that is as someone who uh, had a lot of different situations coming from the sports entertainment world where you're trying to take something that doesn't look great and make it look really spectacular in any given situation, they clipped where they were taking his statistics from. They were taking them from after 2016, basically saying that, look at all the good he's done since then, as opposed to including those first two seasons, which were his most success. So I found it very odd in that they were trying to loop like kind of work in the fact that he won the big 10 title but we're going to exclude some of the factors from this when really you so have to in, look at the entire body of work.
0: Well, okay. N- to argue this point again, to and I- I'm going to throw this up here because this is this is this is what I don't understand. Remember how much O'Brien got out of our players? I miss those days, man. In 2013, Bill O'Brien went 7-5. and five. He just left before it got bad. And you know who picked up the bag after that? When they didn't have any scholarship offensive linemen. And uh, they they were in this really weird situation where they were bowl eligible to start the season. And then no excuse about anything was allowed once they were bowl eligible. Despite the fact that they hadn't been recruiting because they didn't have 85 scholarships. And yet Bill O'Brien people love him because they went 8 and 4 and they were the plucky underdog. James mm-hmm. Franklin comes in, it's bad the two years with with uh with uh Christian Hackenberg. Mm-hmm. But then once they have 85 scholarship football players and they rebuild the offensive line which still wasn't good in 2016, uh then they are a Big 10 champion team. So why why do we not apply those rules to Bill O'Brien who went seven and five in 2013 against a soft schedule where they had six home games versus San Diego State and Navy like they were just stacking wins early in the season and then they finished the season like one in five mm-hmm. and yet Penn State fans love and, and reminisce about Bill O'Brien because he's because he's what Tom I don't understand
1: no, from everything that I understand, talking to ex-players, and again, I talk to Matt McGloin every single week, is that Bill O'Brien had a professional NFL approach to everything he did that the guys wanted to play for him. But, God, I mean, think about the circumstance that was happening. The Obviously, the Jerry Sandusky scandal had just occurred. Um, the program, there was concern that Penn State was going to get the death penalty. So, Penn State fans, myself included, were not expecting anything amazing from the football program in terms of wins and losses. So when that happens, gosh, aren't you really happy? I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and they're doing a lot better than I thought they would. I'm relatively happy with what they're doing, all things considered. So I think because the expectations were so high that James Franklin was going to come in and be the savior of the program and get everything back to the Joe Paterno expectations, that's where people are. And I understand that, and I agree with that. Let's remember this is a program that has not won a national title since the 1980s. I yep. wasn't even alive yet, so yep. this is decades of coming up short of that bar to clear. So, yes, you're hopeful that this deal and all this stuff is moving towards Penn State getting into the national championship picture.
0: So, I, I'm, I'm I want to I want to make sure I have all this right. I. I I apologize. I had my facts wrong. The two thousand, the eight and four season, I think, is where they stacked all those horrible games in the beginning of the season. Uh, let's look at two thousand thirteen. The win loss record: win versus Syracuse and Eastern Michigan, loss versus UCF, Kent State. That's a win. Indiana, a loss. Michigan, that's the famous uh, four overtime game where they won with Allen Robinson. Lost sixty three to fourteen to Ohio State. They beat Illinois in overtime. They had to go to overtime to beat Illinois sort of like this year at Minnesota, they lose 24, 10 Purdue. They beat 45 to 21 lose to Nebraska. And then they beat Wisconsin at the end of the season. And that's the reason because uh, Bill O'Brien for all of the things that were going on, beat Wisconsin and Michigan in that season. And, and truthfully, my memory is a bit shoddy about these things. I, I need to go back and remember some of these things because I don't, that is, that is the reason is, is that, Bill O'Brien beat those teams he was supposed to beat, but he still lost to Nebraska, who they haven't it's, been good it's, even then.
1: It's the, it's the girlfriend that left you and not the other way around. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, when everything went south with the program, when Bill O'Brien came in, He was a hot commodity at the time. If everybody recalls, he had just uh, come from the New England Patriots and it was a big get and people were surprised because no one wanted the Penn State job. Yep. And because he was able to catch lightning in a bottle that season and he's a good coach. I believe Bill O'Brien's a very good X's and O's coach. Yep. Um, That made the job desirable again. That is why someone like James Franklin came up and was a hot coaching name and got hired by Penn State. Yeah. But I think People are still pining for Bill O'Brien because he left, because he went to the Houston Texans, and now he's doing great things at Alabama. By the way, which offensive coordinator in the last 10 years hasn't done great things for Nick Saban at Alabama? Yeah. <laughs> Just about every last one of them does great, gets a he head sco- coaching job.
0: And he scored 10 points in regulation against Auburn. They had to go to four overtimes to win. 24 22 but they won and then mm-hmm. i'm not trying to yep. knock bill o'brien i'm just we're, we're adding in all the details sure. uh running backs dance behind the line versus hitting very hard why uh tom i Fair mean enough. we discussed this a little bit early in the show but if you want to give a quick recap for peter and peter thanks for donating the channel don't want to yep. i want to make sure everyone gets their just due that has donated the channel and i always appreciate it so mm-hmm. give us a quick recap of what you saw from the running game today in the snow
1: um, no, they should not be dancing behind the line of scrimmage. I'm, uh, I very much agree with you. I, I've We've been talking about this since August. There, there is no Saquon Barkley on this uh, running back uh, depth chart. I think we can all agree with that. There are some decent athletes who have not quite mastered the position. There are still flaws in pass protection with these running backs, let alone them just carrying the football. So there's a lot of problems for uh, there to be addressed with these guys. But there is that raw talent that I think – at least with Keevon Lee, you can see. John Lovett, Uh, I I was genuinely curious to see what he would do this year. He's been in and out of the lineup. Noah Kane has dropped off. Devin Ford has dropped off. They have not played well as a whole, so I won't make apologies in that respect. If you're a runner, I'm not coming back to the snow thing, but yeah, I'm coming back to the snow thing. If you're a runner in the snow, you have the advantage if you can make the cut. Yep. Because the defender is on ice skates having to shuffle from side to side and trying to break down and tackle you if you can safely and confidently make the cut. As we saw Kenneth Walker the third do all day, by yep. the way. He, oh, he fell on his
0: ass a couple times too, but he also yeah, made one of plays
1: right off his feet. He had to yep. put out a touchdown and he was kicking himself. Yep. Kevon Lee has an extraordinarily thick and strong lower half of his body. Mm-hmm. His center of gravity is outstanding. It is built to play in those games because he can plant his entire frame and cut yep. in ways that the defender can't. So your speed means virtually nothing on defense in that situation. The ball carrier will win if they can make the cut in inclement weather.
0: But Kevon Lee plays too tall. For his size, absolutely, he plays too tall. <laughs> he plays There's a lot of factors. Gives up his chest to just about every single defender. It, they, he started to turn the corner at the end of this season, where he was lowering his shoulder. He's so if he if he's six one, he plays at six one. If he's six one and plays at five eleven, now he's the difference making power back. He was starting to do that, and in this game, because he wasn't feeling. Uh, confident in his footing, you revert to some of those things that you already know and he plays high, he, he hits with here instead of with his shoulder and that's what you get. Uh, this is an interesting question, something that I'm unsure about the rules of college football because they are different than the NFL uh, and, and they keep Changing some, you know, this is a, they changed the rule when it comes to a running clock because college football games are going too long. But I don't know about when it is in the last couple of minutes. Last drive when Lee was out of bounds, why did Penn State not challenge that? Do you know the specific rule about that? Because I, I, this is a good question. I have to look that part
1: up. It depends. The point of contact is important, and I'm forgive me. I'm blanking on the exact play, but the point of contact happens because you'll see that quite often where contact is made in the field of play. So they almost believe that if you're able to stop forward progress and the guy trickles out of bounds, it's not necessarily the player running scot free out of the boundary to stop the clock. They believe that it is in fact, the defender causing that stoppage and you both happen to work into the boundary. So that is often why the clock keeps running where I, you see that plenty of times in the NFL and in college where it's like, I thought he ran out of bounds and it was if the point of contact from the defender occurred before then. So forgive me. I don't remember the exact instance in the game. Um, hopefully that answers your question.
0: Uh, with this scheme in general, it seems impossible to run the ball. Uh, and they've left it that way for years. Bill, Bill Gomez, you're right. The emphasis on this on this particular offensive uh philosophy, and it doesn't matter if it's Mike Yersich or if it's Joe Moorhead, it the spread offense de-emphasizes the the offensive line and accentuates the passing game. It accentuates the receivers, players in space. So that is a part of the calculus. But The other part is that their offensive line isn't good even for those standards. And when you get a crack, that's the other thing that this does is it the whole concept of this spread offense is that it creates space and that the the athletes, the fast running backs, the fast receivers, they beat your athletes in space and it works most of the time. Penn State has not gotten to a level of consistency on the offensive line or right now at the running back position where they can do any of those things. I mean, that's that's pretty much what sums it up is especially this year, the offensive line is bad. And when the offensive line isn't bad, they don't have a running back that has any speed to take advantage of any of that space. So in those situations, it's actually to me sort of a miracle that Penn State has been competitive in most games because they have to throw the ball to move the ball, and it is the dink and dunk down the football field, which leads you to 21 offensive points on a day where Michigan scores 30. Do you think Do you think they need to, is that something you're going to change, Tom, if you're the, the, the head coach at Penn State, is we're done with the spread, or we're going to not go full into the spread offense, and you're going to give Penn State fans that are clamoring for a running game what they want?
1: I think that all depends on Mike Yursich, uh, and, and I'm not saying James Franklin's not going to have a, a hand in that decision making, but Mike Yursich, as I mentioned before, look at the offense that he ran at Oklahoma State for a number of years. We've known that to be a spread team for decades under Mike Gundy, um, spread uh, spread type of offense at Oklahoma State, same thing at Ohio State, same thing at Texas, and Most of the quarterbacks that played in those systems had quite a bit of success. Um, So I think that's going to have to be a conversation amongst the coaching staff. It's like, hey, do we implement different facets to this and we don't just teach these guys the spread? Uh, I think the perfect example of any coaching staff that uh, evolves and adapts week to week is the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. Every single week, seemingly, maybe not this season, but past seasons, especially under Tom Brady, it's a different set every single week. And again, I come back to there's one Nick Saban. There's one Bill Belichick. They are anomalies in this world. So most of these offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators, they have their system. They have their playbook. That's what got them hired. That's what they know. And they usually don't deviate from it because they believe that the recruiting is being done to supplement their vision. I'm of one who I remember uh, reading notes on the score from a podcast that brand noble, former Penn state defensive lineman did. And he said the fundamental flaw is that the offensive linemen Penn State are recruiting are long-armed and tall because they're built for pass protection, as T. Frank has put together on a lot of his podcasts and really broken down well. That doesn't really help you in run blocking, it really puts you in fact at a disadvantage unless these guys are absolute freaks. Yes, and that's what I was going to say. And Penn State's not winning those recruiting battles, so yep. that is something that's at the feet of James Franklin.
0: But uh, yeah, and but it's at the feet of James Franklin, the recruiter, not the coach. <laughs> so that's so that's I, a, that's yeah. a really great point. Is that uh, if you look at the NFL built of freaks and anomalies? everyone can have 35 inch arms. Everyone can be tackle sized and then you're just maybe your shade under that you become a guard. In college, if you can get 4 of those guys that are NFL quality offensive linemen or even 3 and you have a couple good college players, then you can run the football. But as a as somebody who watches the film on all these teams, not just Penn State, but all of, like a bunch of teams, most teams don't have a good offensive line. Most teams are bad at running the football. It requires five superior large athletes. And even the teams that you think are good at running the football, you know by by the definition of everyone doing their job on every play are also pretty bad. Uh, we gotta wrap the show up here actually in just a little bit, but I want to answer two of these questions and then I need to go off on something because we haven't talked any analysis. We haven't talked anything about the actual game uh, and I just need I need to vent for a second. I hope you guys got some of that out yeah, and maybe. I hope I wasn't too much of a roadblock for it. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. getting untimely pass interference calls. Why do you think that is? It's because he panics at the catch point. Uh, we talked about it a little bit early in the show, Peter. So if you want to rewatch the show, we, we discussed kind of in-depth of it's three-quarters of a good route. It's three-quarters of good coverage. And then at the last second, he gets all nervous and he gets handsy. Uh, and I want to get the. This will be the last one we take today uh, from the from the chat because this is something that is dr- that drives me nuts, and it's a part of the run game calculus. And I got to get down here to um, to Stephen because Stephen asks if Clifford is the key to the game and has been playing hurt for most of the season. Why do we keep trying to run Clifford to run plays? It comes back to the space and the math in the box of if you have five guys in the and this is what was happening today. With Michigan State is they were playing two deep safeties so there are five players in the tackle box and there are five offensive linemen when you motion out a running back it is now one-on-one and the quarterback is the running back you have the advantage The, the the defensive line and the linebackers are out gapped there should be a running lane for the quarterback and sometimes it works last year against Michigan State Sean Clifford hit a beautiful runoff right guard with a quarterback power. They opened it up. There was no safety. He ran 31 yards for a touchdown. But most of the time, Sean Clifford is not a good between-the-tackles runner. Being a four-five athlete is great, but he's a linear athlete. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Cam Newton. He's not Josh Allen. They tried a quarterback sweep today, which is straight out of the Bills, the Bills playbook. That was the offensive line. Couldn't execute that. And Kevon Lee was supposed to get a key block, and he didn't. But the point is, Josh Allen makes up for those mistakes at the NFL level. Those other guys make up for those mistakes. Sean Clifford, if he doesn't get a clean running lane for a touchdown, it looks like when the defender hits him, he's trying to fold a Murphy bed into a closet. It is the most awkward, ugly thing ever. And it is, it's absolutely right, but that's a part of the recruiting process of they need a guy like Justin Fields... They need a guy like Trevor Lawrence. They need a guy at that level to execute these things well. A guy that can do both of those things. Or they have to be such a superior passer that they can then overcome anything in the passing game. They can make those big-time game-winning throws. Sean Clifford is just shy of both of those things. So again, if you want to talk about James Franklin, the game-day coach, it's also James Franklin, the recruiter, who didn't get Justin Fields. Because the offensive coordinator left. Because Joe Moorhead went to Mississippi State. So, I mean, it's a circle, guys. We're talking, this is all circle. Cir- it's all cyclical. It is all a part of the same conversation. So when you hear James Franklin say it's all of it, those are just a few of the factors that he's talking about. Uh, any last thoughts from you on this particular game or this season for Penn State football?
1: It came in like a lion and it went out like a lamb. Thank God it's over
0: (laughs) the exact (laughs) opposite of the season, like of the weather, of
1: the weather, man. uh, I predicted eight and four, the beginning of the season, seven and five, not obviously better, but in the ballpark of what that is, I don't think any of this is going to affect Penn State's bowl placement. And you hope that this doesn't affect recruiting. Uh, And we just talked about how that's a vicious cycle in terms of that could be flawed as well. So there's a lot that I'm disappointed about with
0: this season. So for Penn State football fans, the good news is Penn State is bringing in one of their best recruiting classes under James Franklin. 2018, the one that is leaving, that had guys like Micah Parsons, Adafe Owe, Rashid Walker, Pat Friermuth, Jahan Dotson. Genuinely a great class. This one is in that ballpark. Two quarterbacks. Not just one, two. So there's your hope. Just don't, when you're getting the toy out of the box, don't break it. That's all I'm going to say when it comes to your quarterbacks that are true freshmen. You may have one of these years next year, maybe. We'll see how it all plays out because it's shifting sands when it comes to roster management with a transfer portal and name, image, and likeness and all of those things. So we have genuinely no idea what this team is going to look like next season. But there is more movement on that side than there has been in the last couple of years. So I want to leave with a positive note for Penn State football fans because, yeah, it's been a rough season. Uh, there's been some real ugliness. One thing that hasn't been ugly, in my opinion, has been this show. I have so thoroughly enjoyed doing this with you, Tom. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, as, as a quick story, and I know that I'm talking longer than I meant to, uh, we were looking for a co-host for me to do the show with, and we were discussing a couple of options, and I kept saying, well, you know, my buddy Tom has a Penn State podcast, and they're like, well, we need an expert. I'm like, yeah, but Tom's awesome. So let's go with Tom, and you have more than uh, proven me right. So thank you so much for doing this this post game show with me. I I truly appreciate it.
1: Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Uh, T Frank and I go all the way back to com radio at Penn State. Uh, Some nights we can't remember, and a lot of times uh, up in the Penn State uh, the Beaver Stadium press box and sweater vests and stuff like that. So phenomenal. We we had some good times, and this has been nice, uh, especially as I'm changing things in my own career. This has been awesome. Uh,
0: If we can. We I want to have you back for the bowl game. I know that all that's up in the oh, air as far as scheduling yeah. and timing. Maybe I'll but... be remote in Vegas. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I need I need you to be at least semi conscious for the for the show. That's all I no ask. No promises. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's gonna do it for the BWI live show for the season. Penn State loses 30-27 to Michigan State to close out a 7-5 season. We'll be back for analysis on Monday with BWI Live Recap Show with Nate Bauer and Dave Eckert. I'm your host, Thomas Carr. We'll talk to you then.